obviously still a ton of ground to cover, so we are now going to explain some core aspects of the game before getting even more technical. As Link, the player must navigate all the different environments described in the story, each with their own puzzles and requiring the use of specific items. The Ocarina of Time is a really important tool for game progression, having a role in the story and allowing players to fast travel, like we kind of already discussed in the story section. Mm -hmm. There is to an extent an open world to adventure through, like, it is definitely not to the extent of something, I keep bringing it up, I know, but it's not to the extent of something like Breath of the Wild, which is very much a free roam game, you can do whatever you want. This game has very strict limitations on what you can and can't do, and it's the kind of thing you learn quickly enough. This is all to say that adventuring, roaming around, talking to people and so on is a way to learn about the game's world and to properly experience it. Yeah, that's how you immerse yourself and that even though this game is not as busy, again, like Breath of the Wild, you can still, I think, get a really fulfilling experience by doing those things and keeping in mind that just going around and seeing the land of Hyrule, there's, there is still quite a bit to do. So the other component of adventuring is this, this, you know, the deal with the puzzles, which is characterized by being a part of dungeons. 99% of the time in this game, you are expected to enter a closed room area that requires a series of puzzles before reaching this, you know, penultimate door leading to the final boss of some shape or form. Um, this only becomes more complicated when Link grows up as the puzzle difficulty matches what stage of the game the player is in. Like the puzzles get more complicated, the more progress you make. And the reason in the story section we described things in the order that we did is because RN and I, I think we both agree that those are the difficulty levels of the like temples in order. Now I comparatively, I have still consistently more trouble with the water temple than all the other temples combined, but technically, the water temple is like, it's one room with a lot of side rooms, whereas all the other temples have multiple different levels, multiple different rooms, and multiple different puzzles. I like think the, the thing with difficulty is obviously we were saying how the water temple is really complicated, but it's less that it's complicated and more that it's finicky. It's not a complicated, hard game mechanic to execute or to do. It's just hard to work out what order to do it in. So it's not that, it's not that it's actually the hardest one to get through. Like once you once you are following a walkthrough or you know what you're doing, it's pretty easy. You walk up a level, you play a song, you go down a level, you go into a room, you go out. Like it's it's not hard. Whereas something like the Shadow Temple, with all the hidden enemies and hidden pathways, is much more technically complicated to execute well. Yes, and considering the stuff that you have to do in advance, like as a child and then going forward in time, like the game does treat that as being overall more difficult. So um, inside the Deku Tree, Dodonga's Cavern, and inside Jabu Jabu's Belly are all considered dungeon areas. I mean, that's why you have inexplicable anatomy inaccuracy shenanigans, like because the game is treating Jabu Jabu's Belly like a dungeon, not like an actual creature. And of course, the Temples themselves are also very complicated dungeons, but Ganondorf's castle as well also counts as a uh, dungeon. Now, speaking to just a broader aspect of the world of Hyrule in this game, there's a day and night cycle in this game. Different things happen in the overworld at night, such as, you know, stall children appearing and whatnot. Um, the passage of time in this game, it does not match what happens in real time. Like whatever your clock is, whatever your clock is set to, it does not match that. So time moves faster in Hyrule Field, for example, time, I think, is at a standstill depending on when you enter that area in. So I think Kakariko Village will either be like, I don't know, late afternoon, early evening if you enter Kakariko Village when it's late afternoon, early evening in Hyrule Field. 
if it's nighttime, like if, for example, at nighttime shops are closed, so you can only like go into shops during the day, um, for example. Uh, but yeah, there's like, there's the only thing you just need to consider is that uh, um, different things happen at night compared to in the day. And there's certain things you can't do at night but there are other things you can do at night. Like, I think that's pretty straightforward, but it is just important to understand that the passage of time in this game, it, it depends on the areas that you're in. For example, time passes normally um, in the area leading to Hyrule Castle, but it doesn't when you're in Castletown. So it's like, there's some areas that are subject to this like day and night cycle more like to, to greater extents than other areas. I don't yeah. know if I'm making sense I th anymore. I think I think basically the message is there is a day and night cycle in this game, but um, there's like mechanics that are interact with this day and night cycle, which I'm assuming I'm going to talk about in a little bit. Um, but the important thing is like this game doesn't ascribe to the concept of time as heavily as something like say Majora's Mask, which is very strictly on like this three day cycle and you have to do certain things at certain times on certain days. Like this game is not that strict in terms of timing, but there is like certain restrictions on uh, what you can do depending on the time of day. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, Let's quickly, I think we should, re we should really quickly recap geography before we explain anything else because Hyrule of this Legend of Zelda iteration is obviously not the same as other Legend of Zelda iterations, but there's not a whole lot going on. It's pretty simple. Yeah, it's characterized by pastoral simplicity. People just live in relative harmony. There's not a whole lot to worry about, except for, you know, the whole end of the world thing and Ganondorf taking over. So the middle of the land is this large plains known as Hyrule Field. It's just this big open green space. I love the music. It's just, it's it. just a big ass field. But then Long Long Ranch is, is located on these plains, not far from Hyrule Castle. I mean, one thing to note about Long Long Ranch, by the way, is not just a horse ranch. They also have cows and stuff there. They have cuckoos. They got they got the whole shebang. So it's a party, mm. you know. Um, to the east, we have Kakariko Village, which connects to the mountain pass in Goron City and Death Mountain. Within Death Mountain is the Death Mountain Crater and uh, obviously the Fire Temple. And next yeah. is Zora's Domain, which does not really have any connection to Kakariko Village and exists as like a fairly exclusive area, even though it is in like that same kind of general- General space. Sex section of the map. Yeah. And then like slightly to more to the Southeast is- Yeah, yeah. Uh, Kakariko, uh, sorry, Kakariko. Kokiri <laughs> Forest, which possesses a field uh, where the Deku Tree rests, the Lost Woods, which leads to the Sacred Forest Meadow. There is a shortcut in the Lost Woods that leads to Gora's city, and another part in the Lost Woods is a shortcut leading to the entrance of Zora's domain. And like Kokiri Forest in this way kind of has like little passages to the eastern areas of Hyrule. Yeah, so it's like if you want like a waypoint where you want to kind of access all the areas and get that shortcut, Kokiri Forest is actually the best place to go to because the other, other places are not quite as connected. So working our way around Hyrule like a clock, the southernmost area of Hyrule houses Lake Hylia, which is just this huge lake. It's where the water temple resides. Uh, there's a small pond where a fisherman allows you to fish for rare fish and acquire, uh, and by rare fish, I mean like the size of the fish and acquire um, rare items and things as reward. Sometimes you can get like money and stuff. And at Lake Hylia, well, we know that the, the shortcut from Zora's domain is also here. It's frozen over in the future, but as child link, you can go through this uh, shortcut with ease. Now also at Lake Hylia, there is the Lakeside Laboratory, home of the lake scientist. He's an eccentric fellow. Anyways, the westernmost area um, of Hyrule is the home of Gerudo Valley, which leads into Gerudo Fortress, which leads to the Haunted Wasteland, which then leads to the Desert Colossus. It works in that very like linear 
in order fashion because like you can't go to Gerudo's Fortress without getting through Gerudo Valley and so forth for the rest of the areas. Uh, and like, like I just said, things are pretty sequential in this game, geographically speaking. Um, finally, we have Castletown and Hyrule Castle. In Castletown, uh, um, fun fact, uh, after Ganondorf chases young Zelda, like out, like you know, child Zelda out of the castle while she's on horseback with Impa, Link can visit a royal guard stationed in a back alley who uses his dying breath to tell Link the following. I just find this always like really cool to see because it's the kind of thing you will never know unless you play you play through this and you go into this area. So if you go into the back alley, this soldier will tell you the following. He will say, quote, are you the young boy from the forest? I, I have something to tell you. Ganondorf, the Gerudo King of Thieves, betrayed our king. Zelda's nanny, Impa, sensed danger and escaped from the castle with our princess. The princess was waiting for a boy from the forest. That's you. She wanted to give something to the boy. If you received it from the princess, hurry to the Temple of Time. So it's like, I just really appreciate it's this little sad. detail. It's pretty sad stuff. Pretty I appreciate this, stuff. this this detail because the thing is that you will see the sprite of this character, of the soldier. He'll like reach his arm forward and then his body will slump back. And then if you try and click A again and try and talk to him, there'll be like, like I think Navi either says this or the text will just indicate that he's not moving anymore. It doesn't explicitly say that he's uh, died. The thing is that if you're wondering, I mean, I know this is kind of grim, if you're wondering whether or not you can find his skeleton in the back alley like seven years later, the thing is, is that that area is no longer accessible after the seven year time skip. So you just wouldn't know what happened to his body. I just find it really sad. You have this one soldier who probably like got hurt by Ganondorf on the way out and was fatally injured. And this is what he used his last words to say is just to this kid from the forest and be like, you got to do this thing and without knowing the stakes of it either because we all know that Ganondorf was actually waiting for Link and Zelda to go through with that right so it's just tragic in a lot of different ways mm, it's pretty sad stuff there's a lot of quite heavy stuff in this game yeah I'd say it's not the darkest Zelda title out there but um it it does get pretty heavy it's it's, it's up there it's up there yeah it's up there but there are also a number of locations and things we did not mention that can be useful in Link's journey First, there's the Sheikah Stones. These are just little helpful stones Link receives hints from in order to make progress throughout the game. And these hints are not limited to dungeons. Next, there are these areas known as the Great Fairy Fountains, which are found in different locations. Uh, there's one near the entrance of Hyrule Castle, one in Zora's Fountain, one on the peak of Death Mountain, one in the Death Mountain Crater, one in the Desert Colossus, and finally one outside Ganondorf's Castle. Geographically, the one outside Ganon's castle is the same as the one in the past outside of Hyrule Castle, but accessing it as an adult requires the use of the Golden Gauntlets. So the great fairies located at each of these fountains have the ability to strengthen Link's abilities and give him additional power. They're very helpful. And like the game definitely wants you to meet all of these fairies. So the great fairy located at uh, Death Mountain's peak will increase Link's magic meter and teach Link the spin attack. So Link will be able to use magic now and it'll allow Link to deliver, uh, deliver charge attacks so he can just do more damage. There are little bottles refilling Link's magic meter. We'll touch on this a little bit more later when we talk about items that can be just found around Hyrule. So the Great Fairy located outside Hyrule Castle, like Child Link, so in the past, uh, that Great Fairy will give Link Din's Fire, an orb that uses up magic, but delivers a devastating wall of fire to anything nearby. It's kind of like, 
it's almost like like a I guess like a bomb because there's like a blast radius. Link himself is not going to be affected by the fire. It like goes outwards. Very useful for just burning stuff down really quickly or lighting up a bunch of torches, such as the entrance to the Shadow Temple. Um, the Great Fairy located in Zora's Fountain. Oh, and by the way, Din's fire can be used both as a child and as an adult. Uh, the the Great Fairy located in Zora's Fountain will give Link a similar orb known as Furore's Wind, which can only be used in dungeons and create warp points. So depending on like the door you exit out of, if you're like, I want to make sure I can come back to this area so I don't get soft locked or something, or just to be safe as like, you know, insurance or something as you're trying to solve the puzzles and whatnot, um, it'll warp you outside of that uh, door as like a one-use thing. And again, it's the kind say, of thing- this is- I have to say, this is a very useful thing for the water temple. Water temple, if you, yes. If you do accidentally, if you set the warp points to the entrance to the dungeon, you can unsoft lock yourself sometimes, which is very, very helpful. Extremely helpful, and again, can be used. You can, as you can, you can actually just, you can actually just set the warp point to one of the lowering and raising like plaques, and that's really useful. Yeah, just so, be able to warp to, so that's really cool. Good. Once again, it's the kind of thing that can be used as a child and as an adult. Uh, and the fairy in the Death Mountain Crater, not to be confused with the fairy in Death Mountain's Peak, will upgrade Link's magic meter um, to like so he can use like hold more magic at a time. But this area is only accessible after clearing the Fire Temple. And in the Desert Colossus, the fairy gives Link Nehru's love, an orb just like the other two that you can use as a child as the adult and as an adult, but it uses up the most magic energy and allows Link to create a temporary magical barrier around him, which prevents things from hurting him for a period of time. The final fairy located outside Ganon's castle will upgrade Link's defenses, which means Link's health will deplete slower if he takes hits. So again, you can see the usefulness of approaching all the great fairies because you can collect all three of those kind of magical orbs that give Link all these useful tools. Um, again, because that Sheikah stone thing that Aran mentioned before gives you hints about where to get things or where to go, like hints on how to progress through the game, um, it like some of those hints are just like, if you get this thing, it will greatly help you throughout the rest of the game. Uh, Din's Fire, Ferora's Wind, and Nehru's Love are all things that do that. They are all very useful in their own ways. It's just, it just, it's just a shame that Nehru's Love is so costly to use because, like, I would use it so much. Like, I would use it a lot more if it didn't use up so much magical energy. But anyways, I think that's why you don't have the option to use it more. Because I know, I know, to... and it, it happens that late in the game. Like, I get it. I understand. I understand these things. But yeah, so it's all really cool stuff. And again, just to recap, the great fairy fountains, they're found in all these different locations and all help Link in some shape or form. Then next up, we have fairy fountains, not to be confused with great fairies. These are these are separate. Fairies are very similar to Navi in the way that they look. They're just a little ball of light with these wings, except they're pink. And they possess healing properties and can revive Link from death. So if Link has bottles in his inventory, yes, there's a way in this game to actually like procure material bottles, like actual proper bottles. Um, if Link has bottles in his inventory, Link can carry fairies around in them, and they serve both as a way to avoid a game over screen and also simply a way to regenerate health. Um, they are single use though, so using one fairy will require a Link to catch another one in order to maintain uh, his supply. So the thing is that with uh, fairies is that um, what I mean by avoiding the game over screen is that if, you know, you get a game over by accident, like you get hit by something and your last heart just went out, the fairy will automatically restore all of your hearts. So you'll be back to full health no, automatically. I think, it, I, think, I think it's half. 
No, I don't. Oh, maybe it's not all it, of your hearts. I think it's all of your hearts, the less hearts you have. So like if you're a child, I think it'll heal up all of your hearts. Like if you only have four or five or six hearts, I think it'll heal up all of those. But I think RN's right. I think it doesn't heal all of your hearts when you, uh, when you have more of them. Yeah, when you, I think it only restores up to like six or seven. So once you've yeah. got more than that, it'll only restore up to that point. I think so, yeah. So anyways, but they're still useful nonetheless. And they can also just be manually used if you need, if, like if Link needs to heal himself up, he can just use the fairy. Um, uh, but yeah, um, if you want to check think... out the locations of great fairy fountains, as well as these fairy fountains, they'll be linked in the description, just because it's, a, co it's yeah. a cool side thing. So now, now let's talk about some fun side quests Link can do, as well as some generally fun things you can do in this otherwise stressful environment of the game. mention this during the story description it is worth mentioning there are like quite a few side quests that link can embark on uh we're not going to go over all of them because then we'd be here for even longer than we already are but we will go over some <laughs> we've been here ones. forever yeah i know we'd be here overnight uh but we will go over some of them and describe their role in the game one early side quest is befriending a pona who is one of the horses being raised at Mon Mon ranch it is either a foal or a yearling when link first meets it paralleling link's young age Marlon will teach Link opponent's song, which will make opponent voluntarily follow Link around. This is important because, as we know, things change after Ganondorf takes over Hyrule. So, Link, after the seven-year time skip, will be able to visit Lonlon Ranch again at some point. So, Malon is currently forced to work under new management. Ingo, who worked for Talon seven years prior, has now taken over and swears fealty to Ganondorf. He's like, He's just trying to do his bidding. He's just trying to curry favor with Ganondorf because he's, I guess he's just trying to survive, I suppose. But you're not meant to really empathize with him. He just seems like he's salty. A bit of a douchebag. He's, yeah, yeah, exactly. If uh, Link pays Ingo like a flat fee of like 10 rupees or something, Link can enter the pen where all the horses are kept and just kind of practice riding on one of them. Uh, now a mare, Epona's all grown up. She's all like, just like Link. Um, Epona will return to Link if he plays her song twice for her. So Link needs to enter the pen twice in order for like to kind of win over Epona and then Epona will just be like, yeah, I'll voluntarily come over to you now, now that you know my song. Now, in order to keep Epona as Link's like, you know, steed, Link will have to race Ingo twice. Once on the premise of betting money, cause Ingo's just like, hey, you're getting pretty good at riding that horse. Wanna bet some money? when Link beats him in that first race, Ingo will be like, oh my goodness, I can't have Ganondorf learn this. I need to win the second race. If you win this if you win this race though, you get to keep the horse. So when Link wins for the second time, Ingo shows that he's a sore loser. And he was like, I can't believe you tamed that unruly horse right under my nose. So you can keep the horse, but I'm not letting you leave the ranch. So he locks up the ranch. But lucky for Link, Epona is a super horse. She can jump over the other fences that surround Lon Lon Ranch. They're pretty tall, but Epona's got, I don't know, like, she's just really, really built. She's just built different. Epona's just built different. So Epona's just cool like that, you know? Epona is super cool. I love Epona. But um, from this point onwards, as long as Link plays uh, Epona's song in the overworld, she will always be summoned and come and find Link. So like areas like Lake Hylia, Hyrule Field, I think, uh, in Gerudo Valley, I guess to an extent, it's not a very big area, but you can do it there too. Um, Link can, it just makes it easier to travel around. Like I still find that I- Who's faster? She's faster I will use, I still find myself through. using Epona even when I do learn the fast travel songs. You know what I mean? Like, especially mm -hmm. getting through Hyrule Field because sometimes you can't necessarily warp to the area you want to go to and you have to manually go to it. And Epona just makes things a lot faster. 
Um, plus it will save you time from like the clock because you know the day and night cycle, time passes really quickly on Hyrule Field. Epona just makes things easier, especially when you're adventuring through the game as an adult, the beginning part of it at least. Uh, Epona can't be summoned in dungeons though and things like that. We would not want that for her. So, you know, you can't find her in the forest temple, folks, sorry. <laughs> Sorry. And the next in quest we're gonna talk about is the Sun Song quest. I briefly mentioned this before. This is the song you can find in the creepy graveyard. And where the redeads you can eat redeads for the first song. time yeah. if you want. Yeah, <laughs> this is it. Great. So you enter the grave uh, connected to Kakaroka Village, and this is the called the Catacombs of the Brothers Flat and Sharp, the Composer Brothers. Very on the nose names. Yeah. You know. But um this is just the the specific grave you can do it, you can it do needs it. to enter is one that actually belonged to the royal family so playing Zelda's lullaby will open it up for you and then as we said uh, you dodge all the redeads which is terrifying and then you go up to the platform and you play the you look at the altar and then on the altar it's written the notes and then you follow the notes and you play the sun song and then you've learned it yay and then you can uh, change the day to night and night to day yes when, whatever time of day it is uh, another song quest that you can do includes the Scarecrow song, which requires beginning as a child and completing it as an adult. If Link's talks to a Scarecrow located on the shores of Lake Hylia, and he just plays a random set of notes, the Scarecrow will memorize it. Returning to this location as an adult, Link must play the song again for the Scarecrow to remember the song, and then he will appear in random locations if Link plays the song. And this is useful because you can use him as a hookshot point so if you need yes. to get somewhere, you can hook shot up to the scarecrow and then use that. And this is so, useful for skipping steps in dungeons so, and like getting rare items. For example, you know the whole maze that you got to get through to, in order to get to the sacred forest meadow, right? Well, here's the thing is that, and Navi is actually the indicator of this because she will light up in green in the areas that you can summon the scarecrow in. So what will happen is that when you see Navi light up like that, what you can do is you play the, the scarecrow song. Now, one thing to note about the scarecrow song is that well, two things actually. One, you make it up yourself. The game doesn't have a fixed code for the, the Scarecrow song. You can compose it yourself, which is why it can be a random set of notes. But two, you need to remember what those notes exactly are because the Scarecrow won't tell you. He will ask you to play it for him so that way the traveling Scarecrow that will be summoned will appear. So you actually have to recall this from memory. So I think in the past I'd just write it down or I would just pick really easy notes to play on loop kind of thing. But actually in the Sacred Forest Meadow, if you play the Scarecrow song at the particular location, Navi indicates, you can skip the whole stress of the Moblins by, um, yes, because you can. because there's You're that maze, good. but there are platforms above that you can walk on top of and jump over. It just saves you so much time, which is why I always do the Scarecrow song like as a child and then just do it as an adult. I always get that done as soon as possible because it is so helpful for certain, especially for things good. like that, you know? Yeah. The other side, there's another side quest called the Gold Skull Toolless guide quest. I briefly mentioned Gold Skull Toolless before. In one of the houses in Kakuka Village, there's the cursed rich man. That's definitely not a on-the-nose name. No. And he is cursed by Ganondorf to be a spider. The cursed spider asks Link to free the spirits of his sons from the curse. This can be done by Link finding Gold Skull Toolers around all parts of Hyrule. And when you hit a Gold Skull Tooler, it'll give you a Gold Skull Tooler token. And once you've um, collected enough Gold Skull Tooler tokens, then it will release the sons who. And then, if when they are freed from the curse, they will reward Link with like rare items such as pieces of heart. Yes, um, and things like that. Yeah. So in uh, Kakariko Village as well, there's this lady who will gift you a bottle if you find all of her missing kakus around the village. Again, bottles are super helpful in this game. And I guess she's just known eponymously as the cuckoo lady. She's actually allergic to them, so I find that a bit ironic. 
Um, she'll come up uh, again uh, in a second. So one big side quest is the trading side quest, the trading item side quest. This requires Link to trade various different items, some of which come with timed challenges in order to acquire a powerful sword. The net result of this quest is very, very helpful. Um, all of this is done as an adult. So um, again, this this will come. Uh, this will be very useful, and we're gonna learn why. So when you speak to the Kaku lady in the, because you can only get the bottle from her in the past, you speak to her as an adult, she will first task Link with holding onto a Kaku egg and it will hatch into a pocket Kaku. Link can go into a large house in Kakariko village to use this to wake up Talon again, like the guy's always sleeping. He'll return to Lon Lon Ranch after Link does this. So please that the Kaku actually woke up someone because the Kaku lady's like, oh, you made the Kaku happy. And she'll ask, can we? Can you trade this Kaku for a Kojiro, a blue Kaku, um, I guess. So that's, I guess the first thing you'll ever trade is this pocket Kaku for a Kojiro, okay? Then Link will then need to visit an area in the Lost Woods where the Master Craftsman's son resides, and the Master Craftsman is the leader of the Carpenters Link saves from the Gruda Warriors. The son will trade Link the Kojiro for the Odd Mushroom, which then needs to be taken to the Potion Shop Lady in Kakuka Village. She will convert this into an old to an Odd Poultice, and Link will need to make need to take it back to the Lost Woods in three minutes before it goes bad. The son will no longer be there, and in his stead is a Kokiri girl named Fado. She will trade the odd poultice for the potus saw. Link must then travel to Gurida Valley and deliver this saw to the master craftsman, who claims that the saw is his. He will then give Link the broken Bigoron sword, which is in fact the sword Link will receive when this trading quest is complete. So it's broken now, so obviously it's not usable. So Link um, must travel. Yeah, so the part in the trading quest that we're at right now, the poacher saw was given up for the broken Bigoron sword. So Link must now travel all the way up to the peak of Death Mountain where the Bigoron uh, resides. So remember where that great fairy fountain we told you about that's at the peak? Well, if you just go to the right of that, you will see the Bigoron resting there. He'll stand up, so you'll see him. Uh, he is the one responsible for crafting the sword, but he requires eye drops due to the explosions from Death Mountain blinding him. He's, he sits in very close proximity to Death Mountain Crater. So uh, this is a very reasonable uh, explanation for him. So Link trades the broken sword for an eye drop prescription, which must be given to King Zora. So basically in order to complete this quest, uh, King Zora needs to be thawed out from the red ice. Um, so King Zora will take the prescription and give uh, and trade it for the rare eyeball frog. So he'll give Link the rare eyeball frog, um, which is this delicacy and it's also like in very like it's I guess it's a kind of thing that's like in high demand but low supply because Zora's domain froze over, so you don't see these frogs anymore. So Link must deliver this frog to the lake scientist within three minutes. Um, he will turn this into eye drops, which Link must then take back to the bigger on within four minutes of obtention. So Link needs to be very speedy for this part of the game, and this is where I was mentioning that it's like there are timed challenges associated with some of these items. Uh, for example, like the whole thing with the odd mushroom and the odd, uh, like the odd mushroom and the odd poultice, and then now the eye drops. Because so what will happen? So this this can be this can be very useful to have the um, scarecrow at this point because there's points on Death Mountain where you can play the scarecrow song for the scarecrow to appear and like skip up past the boulders. And another thing to useful. note is is the part of the the kind of added condition of this quest is if you warp, you will lose time. So you don't yeah. actually gain anything from warping. So you have to manually go there. And this is another reason why Epona is especially useful because if you can't she's warp, fast. she's fast. You can scale across Hyrule faster. You can take the shortcuts. It's So it's just anyway, it's doable. Then finally, the big girl will have his eye drops and can get to work on fixing the sword. He gives Link a claim 
check, which Link will need to show the Buku Run once the sword is complete. And the Sang Song is really useful in speeding up this process since it will take a couple of days for him to fix it. Finally, the big reward is the two-handed Big Goron Sword, which is technically more powerful damage wise than Master Sword, but it's not vested with the divine power. And it's pretty cool, but you can't use it while holding a shield, which is the big the, downside the big of drawback, it. Yeah. Now, can, can, correct me if I'm wrong, but the really useful thing about the Big Goron Sword is that when uh, Ganon knocks the Master Sword out of Link's hand, you can still use the Big Goron Sword? Is that right or no? Like, oh, you mean like in the final battle when he's in Ganon form and he knocks the Master Sword yeah. out of- Yeah, so basically this is what this was- this trading quest is all leading up until. There is technically alternative ways you can defeat uh, Ganon in the first part without the Master Sword. There are other weapons and stuff that you can use, but I personally found that way more finicky. It's just easier to have the bigger on sword because he won't bat that one away. You'll be able to keep that in your inventory and it's strong. So you can deal a lot of damage and you can kind of speed up the process in order to recover the Master Sword and then use that to fight Ganon. Um, so yes, you get to keep the bigger on sword uh, when um, that final standoff with uh, Ganon happens. That's what, that's kind of what it's there for and it's really useful. Yes. And there's a couple of like fun like mini games you can do in this game and they're kind of helpful in the game overall. First of all is the bomb shoot bowling arrow, which is really annoying and I hated it because it's really finicky. It's random. It's random and finicky, yeah. Yeah, and using these moving bombs known as bomb shoes, Link must launch them at targets on four different walls and Link can acquire a number of rare items from doing this. Sorry, I think that was a mistake. I think it's like actually like three different walls. I used to think it was four. It feels like four, but I think it's actually like three. And it's actually- like, no, I, think, I think it's, no, it's three walls in the ceiling, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. No, and the, oh, okay. Well, I guess that's true. But there's know, also like there's also guys, there's also cuckoos sure. in some of them. So if you accidentally like if you accidentally aim a bomb shoot at a cuckoo by accident, they will move around. Then you'll basically just lose a shot, and that that is what it is. But then we have the shooting gallery, and this is located in uh yeah, this is located in Castletown. So using like as a child, so child like using his slingshot can upgrade how many Deku nuts he holds. Uh, he can hold for his slingshot. I think he starts off at thirty. The upgrade is 40 so that's useful quantity it matters in this game a lot then there's the treasure chest game which is a little bit more complicated but link will need to like kind of solve these like random puzzles and open the correct treasure chests in order to acquire a rare heart piece again if you don't know what all of these items mean we will talk about them later and uh so the bombshu bowling alley shooting gallery and the treasure chest game can all be found in castletown so hey at least when uh kid like you know when link was a kid and stuff things were nice and then the fire nation attacked I'm, I'm Ganon, sorry, Ganon, sorry, my bad. I'm Ganondorf, glad to know Ganondorf. you're a nerd. Thank you. I mean, we already know this, but glad, thank you for confirming it. You're and of course, fishing in the area near Lake Hylia is something that can be fun. The horse racing minigame you need to acquire an opponent is completely optional, so in the way, this is also a form of fun. Now, when the Fire Nation, I mean Ganon, attacks, <laughs> many places had to be relocated, mostly in Kakarika Village. As an adult, Link uses a bow and an arrow of a slingshot so he can upgrade his quiver storage by getting- So this is the same shooting gallery. gallery? This is the same, same shooting, shooting gallery. gallery. Uh, one other optional minigame is the Gerudo, Gerudo training minigame, where when the various puzzles in this uh, training minigame are solved, Link can acquire a rare set of elemental arrows known as ice arrows. So yeah. These are like, there are like a couple others, but these are like the notable ones. Yeah, these are, I think, uh, like 
the most uh, useful, I guess, overall. So with all of that about, you know, kind of just life in Hyrule out of the way, the standard of living, things to know, things to see, it's time to address the technical aspects of the game, how the player progresses through the game and game mechanics. So this is where we're going to get used, be using some more lingo and you can, I don't know, we're trying to make sense. Let's do this. Okay, in this section, we'll discuss technical features. Um, and as we mentioned before, we're discussing the 2011, 2012. I keep confusing the years. I think it's 2012. Um, uh, using the 3DS console or any of the related consoles in this family. So this could include the 2DS, 3DS XL or 2DS XL. Um, so yeah, these are the controls that we're gonna be working with. Uh, and we'll just touch on like game structure and stuff like that later. So now, since we're talking about technical features, take it away for us, RN. Of course, in this game, using the 3DS console, the 3D part isn't really necessary, but if you want the experience to be more in your face, you can turn on that feature. You want to see and, a uh, dead hand in 3D? I have, Go for it. <laughs> I mean, I have, I have a 3DS XL, and the 3D effect always made me really dizzy and gave me a headache. It looks really cool, but it's terrifying, especially if you're looking at a redead, because then it looks like it's in your face. I don't know. Anyway, we are going to cover how exactly you play as Link in this game. Moving around is very simple as the players use like control Link using the D-pad. It's just kind of your regular Joy-Con type control you get in most Nintendo video game consoles. consoles nowadays. Yeah. Just video game consoles and generally nowadays you get, yeah. you have a little, you have a Joy-Con that you move around, right? Um, well, it's not detachable like a Joy-Con, but you get the point. You get the point. Well, like no, it's like a not a joystick, a little um, joystick. Joystick. That's what it's called. Sorry, confusing my terminology. Uh, it's a little, it's a little uh joystick that you move around. Like most video games have that um nowadays. So yeah, and uh, since so this 3DS has two screens, the map menus and item inventory can be accessed on the bottom screen while you see the visual of what's happening on the top screen. But we'll get that into that a little bit later. I, yeah, and okay, so the thing is, I just find the concept of this being a 3D game, like remaking the 1998 one. This was actually already technically 3D modeled. So it's just, I don't know, cool little fun fact uh, for you. So Link's movements aren't robotic as a result. He's actually quite dynamic in his uh, movements. So on this console, Link can attack by pressing the B button. So in this game, the Master Sword or the Kakiri Sword, you know, or whatever weapon that Link's using, any of the swords he's using, is fixed to the B button nothing can change that that is always going to be your attacking button um and now the thing is is that that the b button is a core button and then there's the a button um so depending on the uh um kind of attack that you're doing whether you're wielding the sword or not link can do a, a multiple different things uh if you click the a button he can barrel roll forward um but if he's standing idly, he'll summon Navi, for example. Now, the thing is, is that uh, there's also like a series of different prompts and you will see that on the top screen. Um, in the bottom right-hand corner of the top screen, you'll see a prompt and it'll tell you the things you can do. Link cli can climb up, uh, you know, blocks and walk upstairs and things like that. Uh, he will manually run. There's no like, like running feature in this game. So Link just always is fast walking, I guess. Um, but you can climb up things, you can use items and things like that. Like, you know, something like the hook shot, for example. Okay, okay that, actually that's not true. I'll get into that in a bit. I'm confusing things right now. But the A, all you need to know about the A button is that there's just a different a different uh, series of prompts that the player can go through and the game will tell you what to do. Um, 
So yes, then you have the R button. So this is positioned behind the, or technically behind, behind on the sides of the, the console you're playing, playing on, excuse me. Um, so the R button will make Link draw his shield, depending on which one is equipped. Because remember, you can acquire three different shields in the game. And if you hold the L and R button at the same time, you'll have the camera angle adjusted to allow for targeted focus. Because we were talking about like, uh, Z targeting, L targeting, and things like that before. This is what that was referring to. Uh, uh, like we've mentioned before, Navi will very occasionally provide descriptions for the enemy you are facing using this feature. Um, and there's a button prompt that appears when the L targeting occurs, so you can see what Navi like wants to say and things like that. So Y and X in this game are not fixed to any particular item or function. You can choose an item in Link's inventory and then assign it to the Y and X button. These items can technically be anything. In my personal experience, I always equip the bow and arrow in the X slot, and then I equip the hook shot, or what becomes the long shot, in the Y slot, because I just feel the most comfortable using it. I'm not sure what RN uses, but I personally find it most comfortable to use those I, items I use, those I use something slots. similar, mainly because um, you keep, when you're holding it, you keep, I keep my thumb on the, you have your, like, the knuckle of your thumb kind of on the B button because that's your attack button and then the easiest button to hit from there is the Y button which is the one you're more likely to use yeah to be able to like need to access in a hurry also if you hit the X button by so if you hit the bow button if you use the bow by accident basically then you're wasting arrows and it's a lot harder to hit the bow accidentally if it's in the X slot than it is in the Y slot so it's more of a caution so I don't accidentally waste arrows for like yeah. me personally but that's like my that's the way I usually do it um, but maybe that's because I think I first played this game with you, and that's how you did it. So that's how I did yeah, it. Yeah, I just, I just prefer I just, that. Yeah, so I maybe just, this is just you influencing me. Who, who knows? knows? The thing is that it's, it's it's a situation of muscle memory, folks, and it's what you're comfortable. It's about the the feel. Yeah. So you could you A could, and then is always going to be one thing. B is always going to be then, one thing. But X yeah, and Y can be whatever you want. And then yeah, and then you can set stuff to the other stuff other than the long, long shot and the hook shot to the X and Y. So yes. you can put a fairy bottle there so you can quickly access that in battle. Yeah. You can put like, I don't know, this thing, well, the slingshot there when you're a child, stuff like, like that. Like for example, as a child, I typically assign uh, the fairy slingshot to the X slot and then the boomerang to the Y slot. Yeah. Um, stuff so like it's that. like, like I have my preferences, as you can tell. Yeah. It's, it's a bit subjective what you assign yeah. to what Just, buttons. To clarify the uh, L targeting, because I feel like that wasn't very clear when we explained it just now. Um, what that means is uh, when an enemy appears, Navi will turn red and go float around the enemy. And if you hold L, you'll get this little like cursor thing that will zoom in on the enemy. So if you keep moving, the camera will continually stay focused on that enemy. So you can go around in a circle. Cause usually if you just walk around in a circle, the view will change as you walk around. Yeah, the, so the camera basically the purpose, will the purpose follow you of, around. Yeah, so the purpose of the L targeting is it keeps that enemy fixed in your view, which is very useful in boss battles when you need to, you know, keep an eye on the enemy while also moving around and dodging. Because if you don't do the L targeting, the camera angle will just follow you around, so you won't be able to see what the enemy behind you is doing, like if it's chasing and you and lunging at you. That's really stressful because you can't see anything, and that's yeah. like, oh my god, no. So that's that's just what that does, just for clarity's sake. Um, and obviously, 
and because this is the 3DS version, there's an extra couple of extra features. And this is a touchscreen the 3DS. So there's two other item slots the player can place items in for easy convenience. I tend to put stuff like the fairy bottles or the bombs in there. Yes. So you can like touch the screen and that'll equip it on the link. So and it's, not, it's not a button. It's not assigned to the X or Y buttons. These are just separate things you have to manually click on the touch screens. Yeah. But it's just, it's just easier than going into your inventory. Yes. And then obviously the top screen is where you can see yourself playing the game. Yeah. Uh, and the bottom and the touch screen also features the left hand on the left hand side the view button which makes the player look at the environment from a first person perspective and then can gyroscopically be angled if you need to like get a closer look at something clicking the b button will allow the player to actually easily exit this view and it's very helpful when you just want to like kind of like look around see if you can see anything and also on the left side is the button for the ocarina and then clicking on this will show you the buttons you need to press in order to play any of the songs link has learned over the course of his journey there's another button to click on that that provides the sheet music for reference in case you forget how to play a song. Um, so yeah, just uh, to clarify, this is all on the touch screen, uh, on the bottom screen. So these are- Yes, sorry, I thought I said Because, that. no, so yeah, but no, but, no, but, no, I think it's okay because basically the X and Y, where you see this on the touch screen is on the right-hand side of the screen, as well as those two other empty item slots that you can click on on the touch screen. But the thing like the view button and the ocarina button, they're on the left hand side of the touch screen. So one thing to keep in mind is that um, even if you're like me and you have these songs mostly memorized, like the buttons and stuff, um, it isn't considered a song. I'm going to talk about the ocarina a little bit here. So even if you know these songs from memory, it isn't considered a song until the game decides it is unless you've formally been taught the song, essentially. For example, Zelda's Lullaby is played in the following order. X, A, Y, X, A, Y, and then it will play out the song. So it's six single notes. It's very straightforward, right? You acquire Saria's Ocarina well before the Ocarina of Time and even before you meet Zelda in the game. So in theory, you could just play these notes on the instrument. However, until Impa teaches Link this song formally, it isn't considered legitimate before then. So that's just something to keep in mind about the use of the ocarina is that even if you know the songs, like even if you're replaying through the game, if you're not taught it, like especially when it comes to warp songs, for example, if Sheik doesn't teach you the song, you can't use it. You can't use its power yet. Okay, let's go over um, some uh, menu screens. These are all accessible from the touch screen and then the start and select buttons on the console. Now, start and select interchangeably, both will give you the save screen. So if you want to save the game, uh, then you click that button. You can save at any point in the game, like even in the middle of a battle. But one thing to keep in mind about saving is it'll just take you back, if you're a child, to your home in Kakiri Forest, or as an adult, to, to the Temple of Time. Now, if you're within a dungeon and you save, it'll take you to the entrance of the dungeon. Um, uh, so, but it'll also like keep track of your progress in the dungeon. So for example, this is, I think how I soft locked myself into the water temple, which was that I was saving a lot, but then I forgot where I was in the puzzle, saved, assume it would leave me at the checkpoint that I was at, but it actually just brings me back to the beginning of the temple when I load up the game again. So you have to keep in mind that when you save, it doesn't take you to where you last saved. It'll just take you to like a key point, like the Temple of Time, the beginning of a dungeon or your home in Kakiri Forest. So now let's get into the, the touch screen and uh, talk about that a little bit more or the menu screens, I should say, that are on the touch screen. So the touch screen is obviously interactive and you're able to see what items are fixed in the button slots, the ocarina icon, and so on. When adventuring through the open world of Hyrule, the default screen on the touch screen is a map of the land. 
And it's, it's more like a, a mini map. Even on the top screen, like where you see the actual game being played out, in the bottom left-hand corner of the top screen, you'll see a little mini map, but that's not very descriptive. So you're more likely to look at the map on the touch screen. When you're in a dungeon, depending on whether or not you've acquired the map for that respe respective dungeon, because you're always going to get dungeon maps, you will see that instead of the overworld of Hyrule. So there are three tabs on the touch screen that are located below that main map display. So there's gear, map, and items. So gear will show you the key items such as swords, tunics, the spiritual stones, and the medallions Link uh, acquires in his journey. Clicking on the items in this menu screen will just show you brief descriptions for them. Now, if you have all the tunics and you have all the shields and you have all the swords, um, as an adult, you can only switch between the Master Sword and the Biggeron Sword, assuming you get the Biggeron Sword. Um, Link can't change tunics as a child, and Link can, I think Link can wield all the shields though. So the thing is, is that if you click on those, like if you just like move the cursor over it, it'll give you the description. But when you're selecting like the, especially as an adult, selecting the actual outfit, the weapons like and the shield, then it'll like equip that and that's what you'll be wearing. So it's, you know, you just gotta be mindful and make sure you're wearing the appropriate outfit depending on where you are, I don't know. I think you get the yeah. point. You get the point. The map menu is simple. It enlarges the default map display and that's all it does. But when you're in a dungeon, also assuming you have another map for that dungeon, you can see the different levels of the area, which provides silhouettes of every possible room. And then once you've visited that room, it'll like light up so it, you can clearly see where you've been and where you haven't been in a dungeon, which is really useful. And where you're currently you in the dungeon will be flashing blue. So you'll know like exactly the room that you're in. Yeah, yeah. Within dungeons, there is a dungeon map, a compass and a boss key. The map has already been explained, but the compass shows you where treasure lies and the boss key is the necessary item required for either quelling the area of danger for example, Queen Gomba or defeating a boss that will lose a sage from their seal in the temples. Yeah. Okay, this next part's gonna get a bit more descriptive. So the items, the items menu shows you a five by four grid and that can be organized freely. You can, you can, you can put things in whatever slot you want, it's great. Now, as we know from the trading quest, some items can be exchanged and uh, traded. Um, and as we also know, there are certain things that only child Link can use and things that only adult Link can use. So these are grayed out depending on what time you're playing in. So as a child, if you are, you've, you made progress in the game and you've made it the adult phase already and you're just going back in time, you will see that items like the fairy bow and the hookshot will be grayed out. So Link as a child cannot use those. And then conversely, Link as an adult, the slingshot, boomerang, uh, and things like that, they will be uh, grayed out so he cannot use those. Um, so now we're gonna go over basically this like master list of all the available items or kinds of items that Link can carry in his inventory. Um, and again, depending on how old he is, you can only use some of these at a time. So we're gonna start off with gear first. So remember that gear menu where I told you about the tunics, the swords, the shields? We're gonna get into all the stuff that you will see in this display screen. So first we got the Kakiri sword. This is a glorified butter knife and Link's first weapon. It's fitting for a 10 year old to wield, I guess. Then we got the Master Sword, fabled sword known as the Blade of Evil's Bane. And um, it's this it's this sword that kicks the story into motion, really. So, you know, that, that is what it is. Then we got the Biggeron Sword. Um, again, as we know, has slightly more striking power than the Master Sword, and it's a two-handed sword. Now there's an alternate form of this weapon known as the Giant's Knife, forged by a different Goron. I think Medi, Medi Goron or something like that. I forget its name. It's forged by a different Goron and is unfortunately breakable, whereas the Biggeron Sword isn't. So technically you could get the Giant's Knife in this game instead of the Biggeron Sword, I believe, but you know, just opt for the Biggeron Sword. Then we have the Deku Shield, our favorite flammable wooden shield. And Link can only wield this as a child. Uh, then there's the Hylian Shield, Link's signature shield, and, you know, can be purchased even as a child. 
Um, and it's I think it's the go-to shield really because you don't get the mirror shield, which I'm going to talk about now. You don't get this until technically much later in the game. The mirror shield can reflect light um, off and onto distant objects as well as absorbing magical attacks. So especially when you're going through the spirit temple, you're going to need to reflect light onto certain things to open up the paths. And then when you're facing the twin robot, you need to fire their magical attacks back at them. So the mirror shield is obviously the best thing to use for this. Then we have the Kakiri tunic. It's Link's basically like signature outfit, greens his color, it has no special properties. The Goron tunic inexplicably makes the guy fireproof. The Zora tunic inexplicably allows him to breathe underwater. I don't know, tunics are just too powerful that way. Then we have the Kakiri boots. I mean, Link is technically already equipping those. They don't technically show up on the screen itself, but he's wearing them anyway. Um, uh, then we have the iron boots, heavy boots that weigh Link down. He can walk along the lake floor, things like that. If you, like, if you want to walk along the lake floor, this is your footwear of choice. And alternatively to that alternative footwear, if you do not wish to sink or avoid skidding, uh, or actually if you want to skid, if you want to treat every surface like a skating rink and have no traction, you can zoom zoom with the hover boots, these fast boots that allow you to briefly float over the air. Now we have the Deku Seeds bullet bag. So pouch restoring Deku Seeds can be upgraded, like I mentioned before. Then we have the quiver, it's where you keep the arrows, can also be upgraded. The Goron's bracelet, uh, that's given to Link from Darunia, it helps me uh, lift up, I have the strength to lift up bomb flowers and also grass clumps. I find that kind of funny. Then we got silver gauntlets. Link can move large uh, gray blocks with using these gauntlets. Then the golden gauntlets, Link can carry and just recklessly throw pillars however he likes. And as Aaron mentioned before, it's very funny, really. I like the way that it's animated. He's just super strong now once he equips the golden gauntlets. Then we have uh, a bomb bag, this holds bombs, can be upgraded so you can hold more bombs. Then we have the silver scale. Link wins this in the diving minigame. He must do it in order to take that shortcut to Lake Hylia. But this can also actually be an upgrade. This can also be upgraded into the silver scale, which will allow Link to breathe underwater even longer. Although I find this rather obsolete considering you will get the Zora tunic and the iron boots as part of the story. So you're technically not gonna need that really. And I think you can actually win that as part of the, the fishing minigame in Lake Hylia. Then we got three wallets. There are three kinds of wallets you can get in the game and they function as upgrades. First, there's a child's wallet. So Link, this is the wallet you start off with. Link can hold up to 99 rupees with this. The adults, the adults wallet um, can hold up to 200 rupees. Um, and then the giant's wallet can hold up to 500 rupees. Now, the thing is the adult wallet and the giant's wallet are only, uh, can only be obtained by doing the gold Skeltula side quest. So again, a, another use, uh, a, there's usefulness to that side quest, even just aside from getting rare items, because you can upgrade how much money you can store and thus how much you can buy. It's extremely helpful. Then next we have the Gerudo token, and this is given to Link after he frees the carpenters and the Gerudo warriors essentially decide that it's okay if he's a guy, he can roam about freely. Then we got the Shard of Agony. This is an item that functions like a dowsing machine, allowing Link to find hidden items in the ground. It will like, kind of like resonate and give off this like, not like beeping sound, but it'll like kind of flash on the screen, on the top screen and indicate that there's something you can find here. This replaces the Stone of Agony from the GameCube version. I, th I thought that was a fun fact. The Shard of Agony is a lot shinier, I'll tell you that. Then there's the Gold Skulltula token counter. Aran mentioned before that as part of the Gold Skulltula side quest, you get a token every time you, like slash at a gold skeletal. This gold skeletal token counter will tell you how many gold skeletal tokens Link has collected. Then we have um, the uh, this like kind of heart counter, like it's like a, a like a large heart, 
and there's like the kind of like fragments attached to it. So this will tell you how many pieces of heart are needed uh, to complete a full heart in order to permanently increase Link's heart counter, which starts at three at the very beginning of the game. And pieces of heart can be found throughout uh, Hyrule and in dungeons and things like that. We'll talk about that in a bit, I suppose. Then there's the spiritual stones. Each are displayed in the order that Link received them in. You're meant to do Kalkiri's Emerald first, obviously, and then get the, Gor the Goron's Ruby and then get Zora's Sapphire. So they will appear in that order. And then finally, we have the medallions. It shows you all the medallions that Link has collected from freeing the sages. That that's about it. That's your gear. That's what your gear menu looks like in this game, folks. Right. So yeah, RN, I you can now tell us about like items and stuff. <laughs> yeah. So here are the items you can acquire. So. Uh... Items and weapons. So uh, there is a Deku stick, which is just this breakable wooden stick. You can light things on fire with it. Lovely. Mm -hmm. There's a Deku nut. Uh, you can load the fairy shink slingshot. Um, sorry, no, you can use these to stun enemies. And then you can load the fairy slingshot, which you already talked about, with Deku seeds. And you can just kind of cut some grass and you'll find some Deku seeds, which you can just eat at people. It's great. It's wonderful. There's a bomb which can be purchased legally, but can also be found by cutting grass. Don't ask me how that works. Yep. They can bomb up boulders in certain kinds of blockages. There's the bomb shoe, which are really, which are, and they are really irritating and they just kind of move around and they don't know why they exist because they're really frustrating. There Again, why they exist, but they're not like, they're, they're not irritating. Yeah. No, and then there's the boomerang, which you can hit things with. Um, it's, it's, a a boomerang. it's a boomerang. It's a boomerang, guys. There's magic beans, which are can be used to find pieces of heart around areas of Hyrule that are otherwise unreachable. Planting this as a child will lead them to sprouting when Link is an adult, functioning as a levitating, levitating platform that floats around and stuff. Fairy bow is a bow and arrow. Close the name. And there's three kinds of arrows that they that Link can equip: fire arrows, ice arrows, and light arrows. And also just normal arrows. Yep. Then there's the hook shot and the long shot and you can reach high platforms with it. Like you hook it into the ceiling and it'll like yeet you across the room. There's the Megaton hammer, which is a powerful hammer capable of pressing down rusty switches, stunning and defeating enemies. And they can even destroy boulders with it. The lens of truth we have already discussed. And then Din's fire for Aura's wind and Neira's love, all the different elemental orbs. Again, we talked about that. And then there's bottles and Link can uh, put lots of stuff in bottles and you can put Fairies, potions, Ruto's letter, long, long milk, blue fire, fish, bug, post spirit, and a big post spirit in a bottle. I don't know why you would have put half of those things in a bottle, but you can, it's possible. Kind of useful if you need to like melt ice and stuff. You can put fire in a bottle. Don't ask me how that works. Yeah. Who knows? Uh, you can also pick, there's also items you can like pick up and then are immediately useful to you. There's the pieces of heart and collecting, you collect those in shards of four, collecting four of them will lead to you gaining- Four or five, yeah, yeah. yeah. A recovery heart will link, will heal one heart of Link's health, but just one. A magic jar will replenish a portion of Link's magic meter. You can get small ones and big ones. Small ones will replace a portion. Big ones will replace the whole thing. There's a heart container, which is adds a whole extra heart to Link's heart counter. And these are only given to Link after he completes a boss battle. It's like your reward. Mm -hmm. There's a Deku seed, which are the seeds needed to string the slingshot. There are arrows. This is kind of self-explanatory. And there's bombs, as mentioned before, and rupees. And you can just kind of find money whenever, whenever. In treasure chests, not in, in, in treasure chests, in grass. like In yeah. grass, you just cut down some grass and there's some rupees. Don't ask me why that works or how that works. There's also the gold skull tulament, 
tokens uh, AR mentioned before, which is the token you receive after defeating the Gold Skull Tula. And then there's a small key, which is exclusively found in dungeons and needed for opening locked doors. And they'll they'll be like part of the greater puzzle of the dungeon. Yes. So as for game structure, uh, taking into consideration everything we have discussed up until this point, because we have talked about almost all the things that you really need to consider in this game, like in its entirety, it's kind of crazy. Um, this is an overall pretty linear game. Like, for example, as we know now, like the uh, overworld limitations are really clear. You are you can learn really quickly where you can't go, where you can go. Some of it is defined by your progression in the game. Some of it is that you literally just cannot go into that area. Uh, the story kind of gives the gameplay like a fixed nature since you you are meant to inadvertently help Ganondorf get his way. That's actually the main turning point of this game. He's supposed to actually win out. And so defeating him is that more gratifying, in my opinion. Um, you're meant to acquire the spiritual stones in the order that I mentioned, for example. Like things are meant to happen a certain way in this game. It's not so that it's like predictable or that it isn't fun when you replay it. Because I personally still have lots of fun replaying this game. But again, it's a very extremely linear game. Um, there, there are dynamic elements to it, such as the dungeons uh, and how the, the puzzles are always different. Like. I, Credits to the way that they structured the temples and those puzzles is that I, they're not the same. There's always different kinds of puzzles that you're gonna have to deal with. So the, the you know, the kind of like circus funhouse characteristic of the forest temple is unique to it. It's not the same as the water temple, which is defined by changing the levels of water in the area or the fire temple where you got to save the Gorons along with navigating overall the puzzles and things like that. So things are dynamic in this game, but you do still have that linear nature, that really fixed nature to uh, the game. Things like the sun, the sun song can be done at any point as a child. Um, and, you know, if you know where to find gold skulltulas, especially they only spawn at night, by the way, if you know where to find gold skulltulas, you can upgrade your wallet faster than normal. So I think the more you play through this game and the more you remember like where things are, things can become easier. If you know how much money is needed to purchase like six magic beans, then you can plant as many of those in advance as you can and then be able to save it for later so you can plant it later because you can you know, interchangeably travel back in time and do things how you like after the time skip happens. So it's like the like there are aspects of this game that are not totally linear like you can do certain things at any point but then you also do have to consider the fact that certain things have to be done in a particular order you have to go to the phonogram man in the windmill in kakariko village as an adult to learn the song of storms you have to uh you can only learn the sun song as a child i believe um and uh the whole thing with the um, cuckoo lady in Kakariko village if you want to get that bottle from her you have to do it as a child you cannot do it as an adult I actually remember when I was a lot younger and I played through that game and I was looking things up online and I was just like okay I'm gonna just I can't I totally forgot to get the bottle from the cuckoo lady in the past so I'll just do it in you know after the time skip but then when you get to the time skip that just initiates the trading quest not the actual like acquisition of the bottle so then I got really confused and by that point in the game, I couldn't travel back in time yet because I hadn't beat the forest temple. So I was just very confused and thought it was never possible for me to get the bottle. But it's very simple. You can just, you know, you just you just got to know when things can happen and it won't feel quite as uh, um, linear. Um, and I think, yeah, I so think, that, that's really about it for game structure. I don't know. It is, is time. Any, is there, 
it's time to conclude, isn't it? Finally, more conclude this episode. Finally, we just have one little 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 last bit, and then we're done. Yeah. Okay. Let's do that. Okay. Woo. Woo. you're about to hear the most underwhelming conclusion um i apologize uh that this is going to be as bland as it is and this is due to some issues where um i couldn't like this took a long time to record and i think something got messed up when uh things were being edited so i'm still trying to find <laughs> the audio where Aaron and I bring our conclusions to a head and we kind of bring all these different threads together that we discussed about this game. I'm going to try my best to summarize what we discussed, what uh, we talked about, and all the kind of different things that Ocarina of Time is doing at once. So firstly, if we just kind of take the game on its own, independent of, you know, the lore of the timelines and stuff, just just treating this as a game, you know, uh, both the technical aspects and, you know, all these storytelling aspects and characters, is that there's obviously a whole lot of things going on in Ocarina of Time. Uh, between the way they integrate myth into the storytelling, the way that you kind of have your main trio, you know, Link, Zelda, Ganondorf, like uh, the connected nature between the three of them. It's it's kind of the crutch of the plot in a lot of ways. Uh, there's like there's many instances, especially in the game, where you just get the sense that it's like it's building up to that final battle. It's building up to Link, Zelda and Ganondorf again and having to share a space with one another. Um, very momentous ending to the game uh, for that reason, I think. Um, the, like in terms of, I guess you could say like the technical aspects of the game, like playing through it. Um, uh, you know, the thing is, is that I, I, I think I've mentioned this before, I'm gonna say it again. There is a bit of a regimented nature to the way this game plays out. Like it's, it's not the most dynamic game in a sense. Like it's, it's pretty, again, linear. Um, you do things in a very particular order. Um, things can be done out of order, as has been mentioned before. Like, it's not like you have to do things exactly in the same order. Um, you can definitely still have your fun with things. Uh, but, you know, even the process of like freeing the sages from the temples and stuff, you know, it's it, it becomes a kind of routine. Like, I think the novelty of freeing a sage, like after you free Saria, it's like, well, after that, you kind of know how the routine goes. It's just a matter of like solving the puzzles and being able to figure out how to do that efficiently or not messing up. Because I think there's still the potential to soft block yourself, you know, and you wouldn't want that happening. Um, but anyways, uh, yeah, so from a technical aspect, there's just it's it's a pretty straightforward game in a lot of ways, though. Um, uh, you know, the whole concept of L-targeting and stuff is actually tremendously helpful. Yes, it does give you a little bit of a blind spot in case you're in a room with more than one enemy, but for the most part, the game does make it pretty stand, like pretty easy to be able to just focus on that one enemy, take it down, and then you'll still kind of kind of have enough time in between to deal with uh, other enemies. Like I can think about in the Water Temple, for example, there are a number of rooms you have to go into that have kind of these smaller enemies, like there's the spikes, and then there's the... I forget the name of it already. The shell things, you know, shell blades. I think they're called the shell blades and the spikes. You find those in a bunch of different rooms. You find those in a lot of stingers. Um, 
the thing is that some of those interactions, like those battle interactions, will happen even underwater. You can't use your shield underwater in this game. You can you can use the hook shot or what'll become the long shot. You can still use that underwater. So technically you can't actually defend yourself from these enemies, but there still is a way to kind of use the hook shot efficiently enough that you can, you know, hit all those enemies without getting hurt. And there's also many opportunities to replenish your hearts in the temple, or you could just straight up leave the temple and go out somewhere and procure hearts that way like it's not that difficult you don't lose a whole lot even when you can't totally defend yourself when there's multiple enemies around you um so yeah it's actually quite a straightforward game in a lot of ways but i can definitely understand that there's aspects of it that would come across as very confusing especially the puzzle solving sections like uh i, I think the temple dungeons i'm just speaking from experience and i think aaron's been through a similar similar experience um is that it, like it's just kind of like you know secondhand it's like it's it's kind of just uh, comes to us naturally because we played something so many times. I think that's the case with any game, really. But yeah, I'm saying that playing this game is technically not that difficult, but sure, you could consider that there's probably something of a learning curve. Now, just as like uh, the role of the of Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time in the franchise, independent of the timeline and as a game produced by a video game company, Ocarina of Time did wonders for this franchise. Um, it's not that, like, there was a very high chance that if Ocarina of Time didn't succeed, The Legend of Zelda maybe would have only continued on for a couple more years after the fact or something like that. But we still see it going strong today, as we know. So uh, I think in a lot of ways, we have Ocarina of Time to thank for that. Uh, it was a highly popular game and it did a lot of really interesting things, you know? Um, so that's just one other thing to think about. Now, I think the biggest part of this conclusion, and this is the part where I'm most frustrated that I couldn't do this with uh, RN for this bit. Um, the biggest thing to consider about this game, I think are the lore implications. Uh, so the role of song, I'm bringing that up first because Ocarina of Time's in the title. The role of song. So the concept of having an instrument playing a song and then that allowing you to progress further in your journey or contributing to some kind of storytelling element is a really interesting part of Legend of Zelda. This is not the like first game to necessarily do this. Um, it it's just has it's like I think it just popularized it in such a way because it's so overt. Um, in other games, such as like uh, originally released in I believe 1992 or like 1991, and then it got remade on the Switch earlier this year, Link's Awakening. Um, in that game, you also do have instruments to play. Uh, um, so it, the Ocarina of Time is not the first one to do what it's doing, but I think it's the first one that kind of made this as popular as it was. Um, but in any case, yes, the role of song and making that a big part of the story, a um, very interesting game mechanic, but also from a lore perspective, it's like, I don't know, how does music figure into other Legend of Zelda games? It's something to def it's, def it's definitely worth considering, and I'm personally, uh, there's, there's just a lot going on with song. It's just something to take note of. And then this game is also pretty um, important in solidifying this kind of endless cycle between the main three, which is Link, Zelda, and uh, Ganondorf, is that these three are just, I've referenced it in earlier episodes, like back in season one, I think, um, but these three are just, they're just kind of connected through destiny. They're just fated to fight each other. Well, Link, Link and Zelda versus Ganondorf, but you know what I mean, is that there's just going to be this fated battle that always happens. It's just the way it's going to go. Uh, of course, the way that it falls, like the way that things play out is obviously not going to be the same, 
no Legend of Zelda game has the same take on Ganondorf in the games where Ganondorf appears. He He's always doing something a little bit different or what's motivating him or what his strength is. It, it just greatly varies. And actually that, that also goes for Link and Zelda. Um, but another thing that's also interesting in terms of the lore here is the relationship these three individuals have with the Triforce, this ancient relic that holds this kind of supreme divine power and the way that it's used. I think this will be an, a big important consideration uh, if we're tying this into other ideas about other Legend of Zelda games. I don't want to like rant about lore in great detail. I think that will work really well for future episodes um, talking about the Legend of Zelda franchise, but it's like this is a section meant to be discussing lore implications. There's just a lot to consider. For example, we like uh, Aaron and I, we've talked about uh, Ganondorf in the past. We've talked about the entity of Ganon um, because there's so much to talk about the guy. There's a lot going on with his character. Um, I actually think Link and Zelda are also pretty deserving of that treatment. Now, the thing with Link is that he, in a lot of ways, functions as this kind of just flat protagonist to play as. And in all honesty, I might be reaching a little bit, but I feel like the you could see the emotive elements of Link in, in, in Ocarina of Time is quite limited, and I would just attribute that to hardware. Um, because, and also when they remade the game, I didn't, I, like, they can't change things drastically in terms of, like, the, the game direction and things like that. If they're just remaking the game, then they're going to be pretty faithful to what they're remaking. So the fact that Link doesn't show a whole lot of emotions, I, I'm, I'm, more, I'm, I'm more inclined to liken that to hardware uh, limitations. Now, if you can compare this to Breath of the Wild, for example, which is also another Legend of Zelda game where you don't see Link showing a lot of emotions, um, there are more, implica more implications of that. Um, I believe I've actually discussed it in my theories on uh, the Silent Realms. If you check uh, back in season two, I've talked about the Silent Realms, which is uh, an, uh, this event that happens in the game Skyward Sword, another very important lore game. So it's like the origin of like the lore timeline. So if I'm talking lore implications here, this is where I'm talking about how Ocarina of Time also fits into this broader timeline of events. Skyward Sword marks as the beginning of everything, right? Ocarina of Time is the catalyst for three other timelines. Because of what happens in Ocarina of Time, it can lead to three other outcomes, uh, which also results in like different splits. Uh, we've mentioned it before, obviously, but that's just really important to consider because it's just like, well, if you want to place Breath of the Wild somewhere in this timeline, it's a little bit difficult to do. I think there's a case for it to be uh, either one of the three. I'm more inclined to think the hero defeated timeline. So the, you know, the hero loses, it's kind of in the name. Um, but again, uh, I'm not going to conclusively state that just because that's still something I'm working on. The lore research lab has a lot of stuff cooking up. Uh, um, there's a lot going on here in terms of the theories that we're cooking up about timeline things. Ocarina of Time is situated right at the, it's kind of this like peripheral center. Ocarina of Time is not at the center. I Skyward Sword's at the center. Um, but Ocarina of Time is very close on the periphery of Skyward Sword in terms of how it unites all these different story elements, lore threads across the Legend of Zelda franchise. So this is also to say the Skyward Sword, that is a game that came out in 2011 on a completely different console. So um, that game functions as the origin of lore for the entire franchise. It's very interesting that they, like the, like the Legend of Zelda, like the team working on Legend of Zelda games, 
and maybe attributed to A.G. Alnuma, who's the, he's been the producer for most of the Legend of Zelda games, um, is that it's kind of hard to retroactively position a newer game as the beginning of before all the other games for a franchise that's been around since the 80s. Like, to do that in 2011, I feel like is quite a lofty task. But I think they, they do it quite well. Um, and uh, I honestly, I feel kind of bad for not talking about Skyward Sword earlier for that reason. But um, uh, they make it work. They make it work so that Skyward Sword is a functional beginning. It's a functional origin game for the rest of the franchise and even the older games, even though they had even less to work with when it came to hardware and uh, design and things like that. It's just super interesting stuff to think about. And this is also to say that Ocarina of Time contributed a lot to that role as well because something that's important to note is that Skyward Sword actually drew a lot of creative inspiration from Ocarina of Time. Uh, you get the reappearance of song motifs. You get the like you get the reappearance of using an instrument to further your progress in like Link's journey that returns. Um, the goddesses also implicitly return. Uh, implicitly and explicitly, to be completely honest, because of the Silent Realms. Uh, the Master Sword has its lore expanded beyond what is known from Ocarina of Time. In Ocarina of Time, the Master Sword is both the weapon that Link needs to use to defeat Ganon in the final standoff, but it's also this kind of key to the portal to the Sacred Realm. It is a way to travel through time. Um, so uh, the Master Sword is not just simply any sword in that way. And it's not even just simply this really, you know, fabled sword. It's not just a really cool divine sword. It's got a character to it. It's got a, it's got a, a presence and a power beyond the, I guess you could say, general like mortal comprehension of it. And Skyward Sword really explores that in a creative way. They make it work. I think the HD version updates the 2011 version in a lot of way in a ways that in ways that I prefer personally. So it's like if you want to get a very sensible and easy grasp of I guess I guess the power of the Master Sword, Skyward Sword HD is probably the better one to pick up the two games. I'm not I'm not gonna you know crap on uh, Skyward Sword like to the 2011 one. I still personally enjoyed that. It's just that. It's, it, it meanders, the, there's, a, there's spacing issues, most of which get fixed in the H, HD version. Anyways, this is all to say that Ocarina of Time, while not being the center of the franchise, is it's a catalyst for a lot of different things. Um, I think it definitely affected how succeeding games happened afterwards. As you probably know, or should know at this point, RN did an episode introducing Majora's Mask that is a direct sequel to Ocarina of Time. It is a, it's a, it's not part of the Hero Defeated timeline. Um, uh, it's part of the uh, Child Link timeline. Um, so the Hero Triumphant, I believe. I'm forgetting the, the notation for the timeline titles, but it's in any case, Majora's Mask is a direct sequel to Ocarina of Time. It literally chronologically happens right after the events of Ocarina of Time. So, uh, that's also an episode that's worth checking out because, again, there's just so much going on in the Legend of Zelda franchise, but Ocarina of Time is like, it, it just functions so well as being a catalyst, despite it also having something of a retroactive role because it came out in 1998 originally. That still would have been around, you know, 11 years, 12 years since the franchise started. So that's 
that's still a good amount of time that's passed since The Legend of Zelda began. Um, but yeah, there's just a lot of things to consider and it's come up in previous episodes, it's happened here. There's so much to talk about when it comes to Ocarina of Time. And as you've probably heard by now, you could go on forever talking about this game and all the things it has to offer. And again, just to reiterate that because this is a lore implication section and more than just a conclusion, um, is that uh, there's there's some very important elements about the powers of like myth in the in broader storytelling. So the role of myth, song to a slightly lesser extent, but then the role of the Triforce, and then your main three: your hero, the princess, and the villain. They, it, it, those are all important elements that are perfectly captured in this game, in my opinion. And yeah, so finally, here's the conclusion. Uh, this was the Lore Research Lab's findings on what there is to know about this game, Ocarina of Time, because there is so much. Thanks for tuning in, folks, and we'll see you next time.